This is episode number 47, the part two with Christian Howes. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Hey, 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 greats. Thanks again for tuning back and hearing the second part of this interview with my brother, my hero, and the legend, Christian Howes. Uh, You know, my brother is, again, such an amazing individual and what he's been able to create since coming out of prison. You know, I remember the moment he got out of prison and he called me and all my family was gone to go pick him up. I had a basketball practice and he called me and I remember just being so so much joy in my heart hearing his voice when he was driving the car as a free man. And what that felt like for me as a 12-year-old younger brother to know that my brother was finally coming home to spend time with us. And uh, again, one of the most memorable, joyful moments of my life to date, for sure, hands down, was knowing that I was going to get my big brother back. So this is all about the lessons that he learned from prison, what it was like getting out of prison and entering the world as a free man again, the challenges, the struggles, what he's faced since then, but most importantly, the amazing life that he's created for himself, his family, and uh, yeah, it's just a powerful experience, uh, what he's done, and I'm very excited to share part two with you right now. With that, guys, here we go with part two with Christian House. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cash back isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And there are no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. So many of us love coffee, like the living for it type of love. Some like it hot, some like it iced with a splash of creamer, and some like it with a cold foam topping. Many of us stop into coffee shops on our way to work more often than we'd like to admit. But now, thanks to International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, you can make cold foam coffee at home, or in my team's case, in the office, and it's a game changer. I was just chatting with a teammate of mine about our love for the occasional sweet treat coffee. Sometimes, it's just the thing you need as a pick-me-up on a business 
busy day, and we just stocked our office fridge with International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, and it never misses. The team's favorite flavor so far is the Caramel Macchiato. You just shake the canister and spray it into your coffee, and voila, you've got an incredible cold foam coffee, no frothing, fancy machines, or mess required. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer foams and creams your coffee from top to bottom. The best part? It works on both hot and iced coffee. It comes in three foaming, delicious flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato. So you can switch things up depending on your mood. Look for your favorite flavor next time you're at your grocery store and be prepared to say goodbye to your barista. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. It's foaming delicious. I don't, I don't want to not be grateful for just having freedom mm. you know like it's you know because because life can be so bad and even even being in prison like also i met guys that just i can't even begin to fathom how hard their lives were mm. you know and what kind of up shit they went through and i i always tried to remember that and that's another reason that i've never focused on you know how bad i you know it was for me to go to prison or whatever because all these cats in in jail you know the majority of them had it far worse than i did their entire lives and prison was just a revolving door for a lot of them and they didn't have families like we have and they didn't have opportunities like we have and resources like we have so i try to always be cognizant and uh aware of that that like to be to be grateful you know for what i have and to, and to keep life in perspective in terms of what is really hard and you know how good how good i have it that was a big lesson there's a lot of other lessons though that i learned i mean about you know identity about purpose about what man, you, manhood what's the lesson about education purpose? I mean, in prison, I think, you know, a lot, like a lot of people, one of the cliche things people always say like, oh, that's why you're so good at the, the violin because you were in prison for four years, <laughs> you know, it, it, because they think, oh, because if, because if, you know, if you go to prison, you're just going to practice all the time. I mean, obviously, I mean, if I was in prison, I would practice. I'd be just as good as you too. If I were right. Like, you'd be amazed at how many people really? like, yeah, like, like have said to me like that, like. Oh, okay. Well, that ex that's why you're so good. Because you, well, sure. You know, it, it's unlike you're thinking to myself, man. You you just don't get it. But the thing that people don't realize is like, you could be on a desert island for ten years and have a violin or a basketball, you know, or whatever it is. But that doesn't mean just because you have that time on your hands, that does not mean that it's going to be easy for you to get to find the discipline to do it every sure. day. Like even in prison where I had a lot of time on my hands, it was a huge struggle every day to be motivated and driven to work out, to read books, to practice my violin, to, to learn music, to make the most of that time to better myself. And that was my challenge every day was like, I want to better myself. I can't do it. I'm in in prison the only thing i can do is try to make the most of every day to better myself to be a better human being and the way i looked at it was like i can do that through intellectually through books you know i can do it artistically through my music 
and and a lot of times I didn't have a, an instrument, but I still would try to find a way. Mm. Uh, and um, and physically through working out, and even interpersonally through writing letters, mostly through and 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 by trying to develop relationships with people in prison and learning from them, even though these were guys from a completely different walks of life. But I would learn from them. They were older guys, and uh, so every day was a struggle. And I had to, you know, sort of fight to like, am I going to make the most of this day, or am I going to let this situation beat me down and succumb to the the lowest common denominator, which is like play cards, watch TV, you know, just numb out, numb out, numb out. However, that could be smoke, pass the time, and- yeah. And there's ways that you can do that, and there's ways we can all do that with every day that we have now. You can watch your favorite sitcom, you can hang out with your girlfriend, you can you hang play out with video you. games or whatever. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways, yeah, that we can we can just like escape and and in prison you have ways to do that too. Even if you're in solitary confinement, I mean, you could if you're in solitary confinement. It is hard to do push-ups, you know, and sit-ups and calisthenics for an hour. You could sit there in solitary confinement all day and not do those push-ups. Mm. Like, a lot easier than you think. Like, I know you're sitting there thinking, like, most people, like, probably you too are thinking, if I was on solitary confinement, I'd work out four hours a day. I, probably, you know, Lewis Howes, I mean, world-class athlete, I know that <laughs> you've got all kinds of routines that you you could come up with. But it's so powerful, like the urge to just lay on that like great all day long and not just be depressed and-, and just be depressed. So every day it's like a challenge to, uh, so purpose, you know, for me was about, so when you got out, did you have this deeper sense of purpose? Yeah. The whole time I was in there, I was developing a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, before I went, before I got locked up, I didn't have a sense of purpose. I had all these, you know, scholarships. You had all gigs. this talent that you didn't, maximize i wasn't yeah i wasn't motivated i didn't have a uh i didn't have goals and i was just you know coasting i mean my only goals were like you know getting laid and getting high and trying to be cool or something you know right and uh it was jive you know and and then when i got in there i was like i i had a purpose my purpose was i want to be a better person i want to be a man i want to make my life have meaning I want to do something meaningful with my life. And that became something every day that I was thinking about. And I was winding up like a spring. When I got out of prison, I came out ready to do some mm-hmm. Like I knew what I wanted to accomplish. Right. In no uncertain terms. And actually, um, because I had been at such a low point in prison, I think that it gave me an, an advantage when I got out in the sense that I was not afraid to promote myself. And mm. we've talked about this before. I mean, yeah. you told me a story when you were, well, I can't remember if you were 18 or 19 or something, but I remember you telling me that, that, uh, you know, you, you were shy around girls and you were, you were afraid to talk to girls and you're like, so, so you made a promise <laughs> to yourself every day that you were going to talk to at least one, or maybe it was three In summer. Yeah. You were like, I'm going to talk to at least one or two or three, like, girls that i've never met before every day i'm just gonna force myself to go up and talk you know you you just like felt like you had nothing left to lose and you and yeah. you, you had this purpose and you're gonna do it but most people they can't get over their their fear of that mm-hmm. you know and and whether the, and i read a book called call reluctance the fear of self-promotion huh. and it said most people and that was one of the first sales books business books i read when i got out of prison i love that book because what it said was that 
and, and you know, you and I, you know, our dad was a life insurance salesman and he, you know, he influenced us huge yeah. his, as a, as a salesperson, you know, just, just how you conceptualize what it is to sell. Most people think that selling is a shameful thing. They're ashamed to promote themselves because they think that they're over promoting themselves because we're raised to have good manners. We're raised not to be a stage hog, be pushy, or... not to be pushy, not to be selfish. And this book made the point that in our own minds, we, we overestimate or we, we underestimate. Well, we just have a, we just have a, a, a messed up perspective of what it is to make the ask. Like you can make the ask without overly promoting yourself. Right. If, and I, I talked about this with your friend, Jonathan Fields, you know, this idea of if, if you're, if you're asking for the opportunity to serve people, that's not, that's not being overly self-promotional, mm -hmm. but a lot of people I knew when I first got out of prison, I was so driven and I knew what I wanted. And a lot of my friends, I think were, they didn't know what to make of it. They thought like, man, you're, you're being too, you're too serious. You're being too business, like, just like be cool, man. And especially in the artistic world, it's like, you know, artists and musicians, they think, man, just, you know, you should just do your music and, and let like, it come to you or whatever. And it's going to come to you because you're going to be good or you're just going to be cool. And it's just going to, you know, it's just going to happen. I was like, fuck that. Like, <laughs> I, like, I want to, you know, I know what I want to do. Like, I want to, you know, I want to be a great jazz violinist and I want to, you know, be the best I can be. And I want to go out. I want to play music on stages with great musicians and I'm going to get paid for it. And that's what I want. And so I'm going to ask for that opportunity every day and pursue it like zealously. So I didn't have the same, like there, as they say in the penitentiary, <laughs> or maybe they say it outside of the penitentiary, there was no shame in my game. You know, I, it's like I got out and I was like, man, I'd already been on the bottom. I couldn't be more, in a more shameful position than in the penitentiary, I'd let everybody down, you know? And so I was like, what do I have to lose? I mean, it's just, you know, and so I just like, it was like a spring when I got out, I knew exactly what I wanted. I've been thinking about it for four years mm. every day. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do when I get out. This is my purpose. I've been, I've been honing it and refining it and thinking about what I wanted to do. And, um, I think that was a big part of why, I was able to uh, to shoot past various phases in my career, mm. you know, because a lot of people that get into one phase, maybe it's a local, as a musician, like I started, I don't mean to say anything bad about being a local musician, because I think local musicians can be very successful and very happy as well, you know, so that's a complete respect for that, you know, but I was in Columbus and I was doing the local thing and then I was... I was like, I want to do something else. I want to go to New York. And then I was in New York and I was like, I want to do more and I want to go to Europe. And then I was in Europe and then I, I want to, I want to get a gig at Berkeley College of Music. And then I got that gig and then I quit every gig I had. I, I, I was offered a full time job with Columbus Symphony. I quit that job. <laughs> I quit Berkeley College of Music. I quit touring with major artists, you know, across Europe and, you know, some of the biggest names. And I mean, a lot of these things that I, that I pushed to achieve as soon as I got it, not as soon as I got it, but after I did it for a while, I thought I, there's still other things I want to do. And so I quit those things. And I think a lot of people, they feel like they might've been like where I started when I had success 
in Columbus, just working around locally, playing in clubs, playing weddings. I could have just been like, oh, I'm cool with this. You know, I'm just keep doing this. But I kept having that drive, like, I want to go farther. I want to do this or I want to do that. And because I was in prison and I had that perspective of, you know, of being in prison, of how low I could be in a lot of ways that informed that that desire for me and that sense of purpose, clear sense of purpose, and got rid of like all the distractions and the self-talk of like, oh, don't be inappropriate or mm. don't, you know. Don't offend people. Don't be pushy. Don't over-promote yourself. <clears throat> yeah. And, and also there's this idea that we live by a script, you know, that we live by, that we see what's possible for ourselves within really specific confines and that we so unconsciously, you know, we live by that script, whether we are aware of it or not. I think going in prison, it completely flipped my script. Mm. <laughs> I mean, cause I was like, holy shit, this wasn't part of my script Right, going to prison, you know? And then, so it was kind of like, well, all bets are off. I can do anything, you know, mm. my life can go anywhere and I'm going to, I'm going to go all out. So, so from a purpose standpoint, you know, that was huge. There was also the question of identity, mm. you know, and, um, you know, questioning my identity. I mean, who am I from a lot of standpoints of, um, you know, obviously not just studying in college, you know, for all the years that I was in there, four years, you know, taking all these, as many humanities classes as I could and examining, you know, identity from the standpoint of class, race, gender, sexuality. Um, but also examining identity on the ground, literally in the prison yard every day, you know, in the real world of prison, you know, confronting, wow, who the fuck am I <laughs> like in this context, you mm -hmm. know, and seeing it that way and, you know, hanging out with these brothers, you know, like in the, 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 church services playing gospel music or like in the the r&b band and it really made me do a double take and think like who who the fuck am i and then like being a part of that scene or being a part of like the bluegrass brand band with like these old appalachian white dudes at the second prison i was at you know and just coming into into such close proximity on a regular basis and being a part of that community with these people that were so different from me and mm -hmm. you know if we're in this world, I mean, in the free world, you know, like, I mean, you live in LA and you go to New York a lot and, you know, I mean, sure, you can go down to Guatemala where you're building schools and you're, you know, and you can go down there for two weeks and you can see how they live and stuff. But for the majority of your life, you know, you're surrounded by other people that live, you know, are, are a certain in a certain class or right. have a certain education. Um, but if you're in prison, you're, you're hanging out with these totally different people. And that made me just confront, well, who am I in a lot of ways? And I went through a journey with that and, and a parallel journey as a musician, because I wanted, I was intrigued about the music, you know, I was intrigued about black music, African-American music of all kinds, um, gospel music, R and B music, jazz, uh, various um, eras of jazz music and uh, the culture and the music is so connected and learning from these guys, these older guys um, 
it, it questioned, it made me question what I know about music and what I know about life and manhood and the world and myself because the way they conceptualized it was so different and being educated through school is different than you know living in the ghetto for four years you get a different education mm. there you know it and it's a profound education if you can open yourself to hear these stories from these men and get to know them and become brothers with them like this just that it opens up is just so deep you know and and like just this guy you know eddie hampton who played the trumpet taught himself to play the trumpet you know on the field gangs at five in the morning you know just taught himself to play the trumpet and he'd been locked up at the time when i knew him he had already been locked up for 26 years um and uh i'm sure i, I think he's still locked up i i got a letter from him a year ago he's, he's still down so it's been Man, 40 years he's been locked up now. But at the time, 26 years. And this was a big, strong dude who had been locked up for 26 years. And uh, and he really liked me. He 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 just developed this this thing with you know about me, like, and it wasn't like a sexual predatory thing or anything like that. He just really liked me. He he wanted to play music with me. And and so he had a trumpet and I played violin and and then it just developed into this friendship, and he would just talk to me sometimes and didn't all make sense what he was saying, you know, cause he came from such a different world and his experience was so different and being locked up twenties. <clears throat> and this guy who got locked up when he was 19 and was 45 at the time, part of him was 19 still. And mm -hmm. part of him was like 145 because that's kind of what happens when you go to the joint. Like you time stands still like you, you don't age in one regard cause you're missing all this that would happen to you on the outside, but you age profoundly at the same time in another mm. way. It's very, it's a kind of a weird contradiction, but he's just one example. There were a lot of guys like that, that I developed really close relationships with, and we would play music together. Then we would talk and you know, just from playing music, maybe I was teaching them or maybe they were teaching me, or maybe it was ambiguous, but we would just develop relationships. We walk on the yard, we talk, you know, and just, um, so the education, or wait, no, I'm talking about identity, <laughs> you know, kind of questioning my identity through books in this liberal arts education, but paralleled with on the ground, you know, kind of questioning my identity. And as a musician and as a person, you know, questioning, you know, just everything about how I saw the world and who I was and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and I went through kind of a journey with that. And even after I got out of prison, I, I have continued to go on that journey as a musician, as mm. an artist, and as a person. And it's changed. Um, but it's it was really uh to know to know thyself, you know, mm. is, is pretty important. I think when I was in prison and even after I got out of prison, I, I still didn't know myself. But all those things I was exposed to, all these ideas, all these people, it really had me asking the right questions. Mm. 
Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which is crazy to think about because that means they have been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while clearly a lot of things have changed since 1877, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker oats. I mean, I think we all grew up with Quaker in our household. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different flavors and varieties, one of my faves for a quick breakfast. And whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber, Quaker oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even Quaker fruit fusion with real fruit pieces, added vitamins, and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker oats in your local grocery store. My career not only requires me to travel, but also gives me the freedom to. Traveling has brought me so many positive experiences and memories. Like that time I spent the holidays at an Airbnb in Big Bear with some of my extended family, and it was the perfect way to come together and connect with my family that I don't see that often. If you have a similar setup that allows you to travel often, have you ever thought about your empty home while you're gone? More specifically, how you can make some extra money by keeping your home occupied while you're out of town. I'm a big advocate for setting up a side hustle to give Give you an extra stream of income and airbnb hosting is an easy place to start many people host on airbnb including some friends of mine but there are some people out there who've never even realized their space could be an airbnb hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money so if you have a home but you're not always at home you've got yourself an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com host isn't it obnoxious when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print or bills that seem to go up for no dang reason? Like when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying even more than you would have elsewhere? At Metro by T-Mobile, there's nada yada yada. That means no contracts, no price hikes, no surprises. They don't even want me to speed through the legal, so here it is. When they say no price hikes when you join, they mean your price will never increase for talk, text, and smartphone data plans. Their only exclusions are for limited time promos, per-use charges, and third-party services. I guess that really is nada yada yada. At Metro by T-Mobile. Nada yada yada. I want to get into life after prison and the business world in a second. But I just thought it'd be interesting. I want to actually have you get your violin out real quick. Oh, shit. All right, right here. Yeah, this is the bow. Oh, shit. This isn't even tuned up, I think. This one work? I'm going to play uh, my daughter's violin, Cammie. Your, your niece's violin. Yeah. So here's what I want you to do. <clears throat> you really put me on the spot here. Bro. I know. Just came to me. So here's what I want you to do. When you're ready. Yeah, okay. Is it tuned up? Yeah, it's tuned. Okay. So I want you to imagine the day you got out of prison. I want you to really breathe it in and imagine the moment you stepped off the prison grounds and you knew you were going to be a free man four years of this journey 
of the most heavy, crazy experiences you've ever had, the lessons, the people you met, experiences you had, and I want you to play something from that feeling that you had right after you stepped off, what your life was going to be like afterwards. It could be a song you already know, a song you've played many times, it could be what's coming up for you right now, it could be anything, but the feelings you had the day that you were free. Hmm. Well, I'll probably just do an improvisation, I guess. Whatever's coming up. Okay. the feeling then what was it like when you got out it was amazing <laughs> it was so amazing you know in my senior speech at school i was like terrified to give this speech i don't know if i ever told you this i i remember about that you you did you you gave a speech i and do I, remember and this. i mentioned in the speech that that was the happiest day of my life was wow. when you got out of prison I remember, like, we had a big sign for you. Yep. It said, welcome home. And you called me. I think it was from, like, dad's car phone or something at the right. time. And you were out. And I, would, I just got back from, like, basketball practice or something. I had practice, so I couldn't go pick you up with, like, Kat and Heidi. And I remember you were like, I'm coming home. Order a pizza. <laughs> and yeah, I was just, yeah. like, so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that. It was amazing. Yeah, mom and dad came and got me at the county because because after once they let me go, I had to go to half halfway house from the prison for like a week, and then the county, which was ironic, because <laughs> the county sucks. It's like the worst. <laughs> but of course, I would knew I was leaving any day, so I didn't care. I don't know, I was in the county for five days or something like that, and then uh, then mom and dad came to get me, and I stepped out of the county and just got in their car and just driving home, and it was surreal mm. and then getting home and you and Heidi and Kat were all there and came in and we all hugged and I was everybody was crying I was crying and we ate pizza and <laughs> it <was fucking> awesome <laughs> and uh just that freedom I mean it's interesting that you know you asked me to to play something and to and to kind of remember that feeling and uh um because you know part of what I do now, one of the things I'm really into since, you know, my career has gone into so many different phases, um, as not just as a performer, but, you know, really it, I've become an educator and a producer and a producer. And then, you know, just constantly trying to find new modes of expression, vehicles of expression for my own creative growth, you know, and part of that is tied to business growth, but, you know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is teaching 
musicians to be creative, you know, to, to, you know, to, um, to practice creativity. How do you, how does someone practice being creative? Creativity starts with infinite choice. When you start down, whether you're going to write a, write a novel or whether you're going to improvise a piece like I just did, or whether you're going to, um, you know, do a fancy move on the basketball court. Like, I mean, that's, it's choice. It's a series of choices. And you start off with, I mean, if you're a musician, you're sitting down to write something. Um, you start off with infinite choices, infinite freedom. And one of the challenges with creating is that with infinite choice, comes this ironic sense of paralysis mm, too you many know, choices too many choices and you don't know where to start it's like writer's block so like if i said lewis you know make something up for me right now say <laughs> something you know make up a speech you know that's right. five minutes long right now that's that you're just making up that you haven't said before you know you would be like what the I don't know where to start. You know, you'd be stuck. Like most people, sure. I mean, most people would be stuck. And the same thing happens for musicians, especially like a lot of classically trained musicians. Now for, for people like that I met in prison who were self-taught and, you know, maybe it wouldn't be the same because it's a completely different, I like to say culture of education. Um, but a lot of people that are trained in music, they don't know where to start. They're, they've got all this self-consciousness uh, or they're, they're self-conscious, I should say. Um, they're uncomfortable. They've got all this conditioning that's, that's at work, you know, all this fear, all this training that's made them afraid to, that somebody's not going to like what they do, like uh, you know, internalized teachers, internalized parents, this internalized audience. So essentially what I do is I say, well, let's, let's break down those infinite choices. And by the way, this isn't like a hugely original idea. I don't think, I think there's, a lot of people out here that probably use some of these ideas. I, I've just put my own spin on it. But let's break down all those choices into narrower and narrower choices. And the narrower you make it, um, I mean, the more you confine people or, or restrict people to what choices they can make, the more creative they can be. They can actually be more creative. Much more creative. Like if I said, Lewis, you've got to dribble only with your left hand, you know, for this. And, and I want you to do a layup. You know, and it's got to be some kind of spin involved in that layup. You'd be like, got it. Mm. And you do something to be really hip. You know what I mean? Right. But if I was like, do like a cool move, you might sit there for like five minutes and like not know what to do. Right. You know, but the more rules I give you, you know, if, if I said, Lewis, um, you know, start a business and you're like, but I don't know what should I do. <laughs> I said, no, I want you to start a business that's a local business that involves, you know, um, information, you know, training in the, um, food market, you know, uh, you know, the more restrictive, and I want you to only use Facebook, right. you know, the more we restrict these choices. And you say this to me all the time as a business person, you see, don't get distracted by the shiny, what do you say? Shiny object or new thing or exactly like all the opportunities coming your way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we get all these, you know, emails every day, like check this out and use Facebook and you should this and use that. And it's like, I'll just use one thing and like do it really well and be creative with it and like go all mm -hmm. the way with it. So <clears throat> anyway, that's in a nutshell, like I talk about, okay, let's divide. So for a musician, like for me, 
um, if somebody says, okay, compose a piece or improvise a piece, which you just asked me to do. You asked me to, to improvise a piece. I say, well, I can start, I have all these op options. So let me divide this infinite choice into smaller categories. So I start, so I have categories like emotions and techniques, like techniques mm -hmm. on the violin and then like musical um, concepts. And, and, and then within those I have, I narrow down even more. So, okay, a happy emotion or a pizzicato technique or a, a certain tempo. And the more I drill down, the more I can practice working within those confines. Right. And then once I work with these confines in lots of different uh, configurations, then what actually it ends up doing is I get used to just being creative. So if you say, just remember that feeling that you have when you got out of prison and just play something to me, that's like, that's my shit. Like that's that. Now that's not to say that whatever I do, that somebody else is going to like, right? Like maybe you were like, Oh, that's not what I expected or whatever, you know, or maybe, you know, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's, Cause it's also about, cause they gave you the rules and you got to be creative how you wanted to be. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I didn't necessarily even need a lot of rules. Like right. you just said, like tap into this feeling. Sure. But for me, that's enough for me. But also a big part of it is, is that when you, when you practice being creative, you have to learn to trust yourself and you have to learn to do it for yourself. Mm. Like I really get into this thing with musicians. Like if you're self-conscious, if you're afraid to, to write something, if you've got writer's block, and I see this with a lot of classically trained musicians that are like virtuosos, but I'm like here, um, you know, make something up for me. They're like, Oh, I can't do it. And they giggle like, you know, mm -hmm. what's at the heart of that? What's it? Why? Fear. It's fear. And, and I would say even more securities or yeah. And I would say even more specifically, well, why are you playing music then? Mm. If, if you're afraid to make something up for me right now, then you, it follows that you're playing music to impress me or to impress somebody else in the room. You should be playing music for yourself, for your reasons. You should be doing a business for yourself. Not because to impress dad or to impress some teacher that you went to school with or to impress some girl or whatever. You know what I mean? And I think if we can tap into like that, like I play music for myself, like in that moment, I really tried to, I really kind of remembered how I felt when I got out of prison. And I thought about for a second, oh, I could do this or this would be cooler or people would respond to this or you probably want me actually to do this or mm. do something slick that people are going to be impressed. And I was like, fuck that. <laughs> I'm going to play what I feel right now Yeah, for me. I don't give a fuck who likes it. But then the thing is, somebody will respond to that. Hmm. Somebody will connect to, to that. You know, somebody connected with what I played. You know, maybe a lot of people didn't, but that's your asset. But if you're always playing to please every other person but yourself, you won't have an identity then. You won't be able to like... It's impossible. Yeah. You can't please everybody. And people disagree about what's good. I mean, you like techno. I can't stand it. Right. You know, I like like really out like modern jazz. You don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> Unless you're playing it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but <laughs> but but the point is, like, if you play for you, like I think creativity is the ultimate equalizer. And what I mean by that is I'll go back to the story I've told before, you know, I was the first 
violin player in the high school, you know, but we had this kid that was last chair, second violin, Noah Phipps. And, uh, man, the kid could not play the violin to save his life. But he would come in with these four track tapes that he made of him playing drums and guitar and, and, um, and singing. And it was creative. It wasn't virtuosic, but it was creative. And all the girls wanted to talk to him because that was what was cool. Right. And it's like, if you think about whoever you like, the Beatles or, you know, Jimi Hendrix or Bella Bartok or whatever it is, the reason you're compelled by them is the distinctive originality of what they do. There's people that don't like it. Stravinsky, I mean, they threw fruit at Stravinsky when the writer's string came out, you know, but he was a visionary. And I've wrestled with that a lot. You're always telling me I should do more YouTube covers. And, you know, I have tried to do some, but I still have to do something that that speaks to me. And mm. and I know even if I don't get 82 million views or whatever, you know, the people that it resonates for, I feel good about it. And I know that there are people that can hear one or two notes and they're like, that's Chris Howes. They recognize my sound because it's, it is my sound. And it's come from doing creative practice over and over and learning to be, you know, comfortable with that. Um, And that's why we've talked about this before, but this idea of being the best, I used to want to be the best and I don't want to be the best anymore Mm. because I think as an artist, I know I I understand if you're, if you're playing a basketball game, you know, maybe somebody, even a basketball game, I think is, is harder to compare because the guy that gets the most points isn't necessarily the best. I mean, he's got a guy that's blocking for him or stealing the ball and passing to him. But I mean, you know, Hussein, is it Bolt? What's it? Is it, what's it? Um, Usain Bolt? Yeah, what's his first name? Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt. I mean, he was the best runner on that day. It was measured. You know what I'm saying? Right. But it doesn't mean he's going to be five years from now because, you know. Sure. But in the arts, I don't know. You always want to measure the best because, you know, f- for every Aretha Franklin, there's a Joni Mitchell. And mm. why would you want to have? Sure. You'd want to, you need to have them both. And, but also it was, it was a struggle for me to wrestle with trying to be the best. And, and I felt like it was, it was not a healthy thing for me Mm. to try to be the best. Cause there's always going to be somebody that can do something better than Mm. you. You can't be the best at everything. I mean, that's just a fact. And also I just felt like in another way, it was just, it was creating it was just an unhealthy place for me to go at it. So as an artist, my goal is to be, you know, honest, is to be creative, is to be, is to find my voice, mm. you know, and to really be that, mm. you know, to, obviously to try to get better, to try to improve my fundamentals as much as possible. But I think it takes courage and it continues to take courage for me every day. And I'm looking to find that courage to really create something mm. that comes from me. And I think this is what I think you can relate to this idea too, because you're inspiring people all the time. You're saying, you know, implement, go into action, you know, follow your gut, follow your heart, do the thing you want to do. People are afraid to do it. I think Mm. we're talking about the same thing. Mm. It's not necessarily about being the best. It's about tapping into your, your voice. You know, there's some people out there that are going to want to listen to, uh, Derek Halpern. Yeah. And they're going to be more compelled by him than they are by you. You don't want to be like Derek Halpern. You want to be Lewis Howes because the people that Lewis Howes resonates with, that's what it's about. They're not going to resonate with him in the way they resonate with you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different. It's not the best. It's, it's being distinct. 
mm. is to having a different thing, like a very a special thing that'll resonate with some people, and then finding that audience, and then and then writing that, and and it creates a positive cycle of confidence, and more people resonate with it, and it gets more powerful, and that's what's happened with you, you know. And the more that I follow that. Um, the more that I feel good about what I do and the more that other people resonate with it too. Mm. So teaching creativity is, has become a thing for me because it's also about me fostering, continuing to be creative in my own life because we all want to, I just wrote this article, uh, this, uh, called finding the courage to create. And, um, it's at christianhouse.com. And, um, the whole idea is that the better we get, the more we have on the line, you know, the, the harder, sometimes the harder it is for us to keep taking chances because, you know, mm. we're going to make a bigger flop or whatever. And it's up to us to keep taking those chances to keep creating. Like creating is not rehashing the shit you've done before. Mm. It's like doing something new every day. And that could be small. It could be a small thing. It could be like, I only played like 10 seconds, but those 10 seconds, like I was creative in that moment. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I'm, I'm trying to encourage musicians, not on just an artistic level, but also on a personal and on a business level to be creative because I believe that business is a creative process too. I think a lot of artists think, that their art is artistic and that business is this other necessary evil. And that if you're good as an artist, then the business will come. And I think the opposite is true. I think you have to look at business as an, ex an extension of your creativity. I think you have to do business and that your artistic creativity will follow from that. Mm. You have to go sell yourself and get a gig. And once you get that gig, then you've got to deliver on stage. Right. I mean, you weren't a speaker until you had speaking gigs. I mean, well, you did practice, you know, at Toastmasters, but you really came into your own once you, once you did it. Yeah. You know? Failed like, a bunch doing it. Yeah. And you did, you, you know, you, you agreed to do a webinar. You sold a webinar. You didn't even have the product yet. Then you right. had to make that product. Yeah. That product has sold for you for the last 10 years, but it was only because, well, I'm sorry, five years. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but that's because you took that creative leap yeah you're like i'm gonna go out on a limb and i'm gonna create this product right so what did, what did prison what did hustle in prison teach you for the last 15 years since you've been out well you know i talked about how i developed a sense of purpose in prison and drive and and i think that was that's what it was um that was that was really it i just became really driven I, I, a sense of purpose. There was a fear of becoming depressed. You know, mm. in prison, there was uh, once, at least once, where I was severely depressed in prison. And uh, every day, you know, I, I sort of developed a fear of that kind of depression, you know, because I thought, man, this could really slide into a bad thing. And I don't want to live my life like that. I don't want to go into this darkness, you know. So I'm going to fight every day to try to, to make something positive, to make something good, you know. And, and, um, and as I also mentioned to you, I always tried to keep in mind, you know, how bad things can be, Sure, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, um, so all those things have contributed to my continuing to hustle. Mm. 
um, from the moment I got out until and now. And, and, you know, I monitor a lot of times the peaks and valleys and, you know, and am I afraid? Am, why, am I in a rut? What do I need to do? And, you know, you know, you've seen me quit gigs and, and question, you know, when I, when I got the gig at the Berkeley College of Music, it was a huge, I mean, I became a associate professor at the Berkeley College of Music and I was there for three years and that was really prestigious and fulfilling and rewarding on a lot of levels. And for a variety of reasons, you know, a lot of which had to do with family, but a lot of which had to do with my sort of determining my own destiny and, and creating my own, you know, career as an entrepreneur. Um, I decided to quit the job and I really wrestled with that decision. Um, so you've seen me go through a lot of those, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like, it's not like we're just on a straight path up or a straight path down. You know, we go up and down every day and I've gotten a lot of good motivation from you in the last few years as I've watched you pursue this incredible, you know, upward path. I mean, six years ago, you were sleeping in this house in this <laughs> on my couch with no income and no money. In Pay, the well, I was paying you 250 a month. That was my payment. I started making a little bit of money doing like these LinkedIn events. So I was making like a thousand bucks a month, like maybe, or every like couple months or started to like kind of bring something in. A but you, bit. but six years ago, yeah, you were sleeping on my couch and you had no income. 2009. Yeah. Or I mean, yeah, the year before you were at the music, music house, you had zero income. I zero. Think. Negative income. Zero. <laughs> and you were working with Chris Hawker, um, the inventor, um, you were as a uh, unpaid, uh, apprentice really yeah. for a while for six months or something like he started that. paying me a little bit but yeah but i mean i don't know very pay for amount. food yeah yeah for food or i mean you you took on an apprenticeship and you were just six years ago yeah. and now you've you know sold over 10 million i don't know last year over i don't know if i'm allowed to say how many millions of dollars you've you've sold of of business that you've done like right. millions upon millions of dollars of business and so many projects and you've had million um i think almost a million downloads on this podcast which you've only been running for a year and who knows how many other products and you know affiliations and you know i remember you reading uh you know i gave you tim ferris's book the uh, uh the four hour work week five years ago, I think something like that. And, uh, and you were fascinated by it and we both were and, uh, motivated by it. We both were. And then you just went straight forward from there. I mean, you just, I, I went you, I mean, you made a believer out of me because I've, you know, I've watched you these, all these years and I, you know, I thought, Oh, internet marketing, all oh, lifestyle design. Oh, I don't know. That might be a big scam or whatever. You know, there'd be times when I doubted it, but then I'd see how, much you were doing and i was like this shit is fucking real man my little brother's doing this stuff man. he's like he's crushing and um so so you know you're you're a huge inspiration in that way but i guess the point is that you know i don't want to make it seem like that every single day that i have that same um drive but but i try to keep myself pick myself back sure. up and go for it and i'm starting a new project you know, where I'm uh, going to be uh, teaching musicians to uh, to take their business in their own hands. Mm, you know? Yeah. What I want to ask you is what is the one thing that you, maybe not one thing, but what's something you learned over the years playing on stage in front of audiences 
what's something you've learned about how to captivate audiences and keep people connected throughout the entire performance and really just connect with them? Because I know whenever we go to gigs, a lot of people come up to you afterwards and just tell you how much it means to them that you're playing, like how inspired they are. So what is it you learned to do over the years to really, is there a techniques or is there a stories you tell or hmm. strategies or is eye contact and what's the things that you've learned hmm. to have this poise on stage that really connects people in this magnetic way to be inspired and moved by that, that's interesting you know you know it's funny because uh a, a sort of a, a, a protege i guess is a protege or a student of mine her name's uh former student, sort of online student, Victoria Yeh, Y-E-H, Victoria Yeh. She's in Toronto. She's a really, really wonderful violinist, but she also does a lot of different things in her life. But she gave a, a presentation at my annual Creative Strings Workshop, which is the one-week uh, summit for creative string players that I do every year in Columbus. We've done it for 12 years. She gave a seminar last year on uh, – stage presence. And I was kind of like, wow, what's stage presence? You know what? But then she did it. And I was like, wow, there really are these great things that you can do. I was really floored because she did a great job showing these sort of like certain physical cues that you can give the audience. Right. And almost like politicians, they know about, you know, certain things that they do and, and you've learned in Toastmasters. Honestly, I haven't learned a lot of that stuff. <laughs> like, I mean, what I do as a player, I think is, I'm really just focused as a player. I mean, sure, I speak and I tell stories to people on stage and stuff, but um, what I what I have always focused on is just from a musical side. I mean, since I am an improviser, since I am a jazz musician or a creative musician, um, I focus on trying to find that creative um, path every night to do something a little bit different. Um, and even if you're giving a presentation or when I'm teaching, you know, um, you find things that you do over and over again, but I'm always trying to do it a little different. I'm always trying to push myself to be on that edge and that can be tiny chances. It can be small little changes that you make, but just constant, always thinking, let me just do it. Something mm. take those chances. Cause I think when you take those chances, and that's part of being creative, you're, you're taking those chances and live as an improviser. There's this freshness that comes and there's this transcendence that like you eventually you, you, you keep growing through that. Like you're every day you're changing, you're transforming and it's making it fresher and on the edge and people feel that. And there's this power that comes from, you know, being right on the edge. Um, but I always, I always, as a musician, even as a classical musician, I was always intensely focused in on how to make the music powerful. You know, how to, not just how to play the notes, but, but how to, to make a phrase as powerful as you can make that phrase mm. be. I haven't studied that as a speaker. And right. you, I think you have maybe in, in Toastmasters and stuff like that. Um, I've just only a little bit, you know, but as a musician, I definitely think about like every time I'm on stage, like I definitely think like I'm going to put, I'm going to leave it all on the stage. Mm. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, this is it, for me being on stage playing my violin is like that is the sacred mm. time for me like that is the sacred moment that is in a way it's like that's what i live for right. i don't corrupt it you know i don't drink beforehand or smoke beforehand or anything like that you know it's like 
I'm in that space. That's everything I have. And that's everything that I've done up until that moment is for that moment. Mm. And, uh, I mean, literally everything. And so I don't know that it's always graceful. I don't know that it always is scripting the audience in the ways that I could to maximize like whatever. But I think that from a musical standpoint and people, I think see that in the physicality of what I do or whatever, but I mean, they see that I'm intensely involved in it. And right. I think people, right. you know, they get into that, but, but it's really, if anything, it's that it's just about mm. giving everything I have in that moment. What's, what's your definition of greatness? I like what Tim Ferriss said on your podcast. Um, uh, it was that episode number 45 school of greatness, 44, 44, trying to get better every day, you know, trying to, uh, manifest something that your former self would have thought impossible. Mm. But sort of what I was talking about earlier with this idea of being creative. I think, I think if we're, we're really sort of living lives for ourselves, like, you know, not for other people. And I don't mean that in a selfish way. I mean, if you're, if you're doing things for your family, if you're doing things for, you know, for others that can still come from you, you know, but you're not doing it because someone told you to do it. You know, right. you're really being authentic and finding your voice, your, what makes you distinctive, you know, searching for that, searching to be authentically you. I think a lot of people are obsessed with being the best. And we've talked about this before, mm. you know, the competitive spirit is great, you know, but, but as an artist, for me, I've, if you want, I don't know if you want to say resigned myself to not pursue being the best. Of course, I want to be among the best. I want to be world-class at what I do as an artist, but that comes from your limitations as well as your strengths, especially as an artist, you know, Les Paul, with whom I played for, you know, 10 years and who I was, you know, I considered a, a dear friend and mentor. He played with basically like two fingers and a thumb on his guitar until he was 94. I mean, I know that Les Paul knew that like he couldn't play as fast as a lot of other guitar players, but he was so Les Paul, like nobody else could sound like Les Paul. And he used everything that he had and he worked within the limitation, profound limitations that he had. Jo Joni Mitchell, she had, I think from what I've heard, she, her hands were mangled too. But because of the, the limitations of Joni's hands, she came up with these open string tunings on the guitar mm. that nobody else had. You know, Miles Davis couldn't play, as far as I can tell, could not play as fast as Charlie Parker. And once he quit chasing Charlie Parker, and once he started to do the shit that only Miles could do, that was part of the revolution of cool jazz. Mm. It was about saying less and saying more with less. Mm. So you find all these great examples of artists who work with their limitations to do something that's profound, that's game-changing. It's not because they're overcoming their limitations. Sometimes it's about accepting those limitations and saying, this is a part of who I am. Now let's make it great. Mm. Let's let, let me 
let me accept it and do everything I can with it that's truly authentically me because that combination is unique and nobody else has it. And if I can really buy into it all the way, invest in what I do and find out what that is, let it really evolve and manifest, that is going to be great. People are going to resonate with that in a profound way. Somebody, some thousand people, some 10,000 people, some five people are going to resonate with it so profoundly. And as an artist, I feel like every person has the ability to do that. Like mm. every one of us has the ability to be immeasurably powerful, <laughs> you know, because of our unique voice that we each have are you uni the unique thing that combination that we each have if we can follow it through mm. and <clears throat> as artists you know and as people it's easy not only just to recognize how immeasurably powerful we can be but it's also easy to acknowledge how insignificant each of us can seem this creates a contradiction <laughs> which can really stifle us and what we have to do is we have to overcome that contradiction we mm. have to live within that contradiction recognizing how fallible we are how how limited we are how in insignificant we might be in the scope of things but at the same time how immeasurably powerful we can be and if we can be okay with who we are with our weaknesses and our strengths then i think i think we can be great mm. so to finish it up i want you to play one more song <laughs> <laughs> i want you to play that was you, a letdown that last one for you wasn't it <laughs> no it wasn't i want you to play a jazz song that I want you to play your favorite jazz song that. <laughs> can we just put a tape on or something at the end of this interview? <laughs> no, your favorite jazz. I can be part of it a minute or something. Favorite jazz tune. People can either know it or they not know it. It can be yours or someone else's. And I want you to play it with the vision you have from here on out. What do you mean the vision I have? The vision you have for yourself and the world. So I want you to play with that type of inspiration it could be any you know a jazz song that you've either written or that people know of and you play it with your vision of yourself and the world moving forward
Mm. There you have it. Where can we find you online? Christian House. Same same spelling as you, H O W E S. Christian House, H O W E S dot com. Uh, thanks, bro, for uh, for having me on this amazing school of greatness. Thanks for coming on. Oh no, not another one! Man, what an experience! What a journey Chris has been through after going through prison and getting out of prison and everything he's created for his life ever since then. It's uh, it's a pleasure again for me to have him come on, and I appreciate all of you for staying engaged and staying tuned in for both episodes. Again, this uh, unique interview was like a jazz piece for me, but it was a lot of fun, and hopefully you guys got something out of it, as I'm sure many of you did. Again, leave your comments over on lewishouse.com or schoolofgreatness.com, And go ahead and check out all the show notes over there. There's going to be some videos of Chris, some other links to his website, things like that. And uh, I would love it if you shared this over on Facebook, on Twitter, on Google+, on LinkedIn, anywhere you want to share it online. Share this with your friends about this experience and what he's been able to create in his life and this inspiring message of his vision. Wow. I love the songs that he played. And uh, I just love the entire experience. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. means the world to me. I appreciate you all. I'm very excited for the guests that I have coming on in the near future. There's some big, big names coming on. I think you're going to love it. But make sure if you have not subscribed yet, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, and over on SoundCloud. I'm very excited for the future of the School of Greatness podcast and where it's going. Again, it was ranked, I think, top 39 overall podcasts on iTunes recently. And uh, with your help, we can get it up there in the top 10. So thanks again for sharing. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. And make sure to go out there and do something great.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.